Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to somebody who's in the trenches today building their own agency, and uh, he helps marketers increase their value and pricing while decreasing their working hours, but he's also the founder of a niche marketing agency that generates leads for hearing clinics. His name is Mike Mall, and he's here today to walk us through his journey building his agency and what he's learned and what he can share with you. So with that, Mike, thanks for making the time for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And so that eventually turns into the agency that you still run today called Market Me. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, where that business has gotten to today. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, started in 2013. It underwent some some a lot of transition and a lot of kind of, you know, the marketing field is constantly changing. And we started off offering very few services, you know, Google ads, Facebook ads, pretty straightforward. Um, and it was originally an e-commerce, which got very competitive. So we said, great, let's do, let's generate leads for people that make a lot of money with their clients. That, that makes sense. Um, but along the way, we had this weird, you know, this journey of, oh, maybe we should do websites. Maybe we should do content. Maybe we should do social media. And I, I built this thing up in a, in a way that really I didn't enjoy. And we, over time, so we kind of built up a whole bunch of services, a bunch of customers, and then we actually reduced our services and reduced our customers. Um, and now I've kind of found this really great sweet spot in terms of uh, just in enjoyment and balance in life, um, balance in work. And it's been, it's, it's, I'm really happy with where it is. So let's talk uh, a little bit about that journey of growing. So at its peak, you know, what, what was kind of the, the peak size, I suppose, of market me and what did the business look like at that juncture? Yeah, so I've, I've always, uh, I had at that point, I had a couple of full-time employees, I had three full-time employees. We had a lot of freelance contractors, which actually is, is exclusively what we do now. We don't have any full-time people on staff. Uh, we got mm -hmm. up to maybe around 800,000 in revenue. The profit was terrible because we had really bad systems and really, really bad processes across the board. And we were just patching holes with money so much. Um, and it was a bit of a nightmare. And, and, you know, I think a lot of where that came from was actually my ego, which used to get in the way quite a bit. And I just thought I had to be the smartest person in every department. I had to be, you know, I had to be the decision maker at every point. And, and I, I don't think I was super overbearing, although I wasn't there. So maybe, um, but I, I just feel like I was such a crappy leader back then. And I, and I did, I let my ego get in the way and that actually almost put the business out of business a few times, um, whether that was taking on projects that didn't make sense to take on or, um, you know, underestimating certain things because I was so smart and then it turning into us needing to find the contractors to get the job done. Cause for me, reputation is number one. Um, and so when yeah. I say something's going to get done, it's going to get done. Um, but being, you know, back then I was a little bit cocky about what we could accomplish. And so it often led to, um, lack of profitability in a big way. Hmm. 
Mm, yeah. And I think this is the thing that um, not enough people are considering when they want to use what I call elastic capacity in their agency. The great thing is, yeah, you don't have to pay these people for the most part when you're not busy. So you don't have to worry about utilization as much. But if you underscope something significantly, that cost can be substantial. And it's not like a full-time employee where you've kind of already modeled that cost. That is additional cash that you've got to find somewhere. And if you haven't priced the engagement properly, it can be your margins and beyond. And it sounds like, yeah, that might be a situation you found yourself in on a handful of occasions. Yeah, so now it's actually less revenue, um, but from a profitability standpoint and from a balance standpoint, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Um, so, you know, I think our gross is like 625. Um, the margins on most of our services are around 70%, 65 to 70%. Um, I pay myself a healthy six figure salary. The business has cash in it all the time. Um, I've got my workload down to it's about 15 hours a month to manage this particular company. So, you know, teams in place, the contractors have good, you know, best practices. They know, they know how to solve their own problems because I finally got them the right documentation. And so now it's just, it's a happy little business. And I'm happy to keep it at that size because for what I can pay myself versus the stress, to me, from a lifestyle perspective, it just mm. makes sense to me. So a big shift in addition by subtraction and, you know, yeah, like you, like you mentioned less revenue, but obviously from a lifestyle perspective, like I'm sure there's a lot of people listening thinking, Hmm, if I can make six figures working 15 hours a month, I would feel pretty damn good about that. Uh, let's talk about how that transition happened. What had to shift from the, the way it was to the way it is today. And what were some of the biggest lessons learned in that transition? Yeah, so I think the two biggest things, one of the, I think one of the detriments of never um, going to a business school or being, I mean, I didn't have entrepreneurship in my life, nobody around me. I didn't, I also was very stubborn, so I didn't seek out any guidance or mentorship or coaching early on. I said, no, no, I'll do it. But not understanding what margins should look like, even, you know, that really hurt me from the get go because I just, I overestimated too many things, I underestimated too many things. And, there were a couple of times we got the tax bill at the end of the year. I'm like, oh, how are we going to pay that? <laughs> we had to account for that? Oh, boy. Um, and so just not having any really frame of reference um, was, was a, a, a challenge. And there's not really an excuse for it. You could probably just look this stuff up. Um, but at the time, I was just I was focused on growth and getting more customers. And, um, you know, and I think I, I know a lot of people that have bumped into this situation in year three or four. They're like, oh, we've tripled, we've tripled, we've tripled but we're making less money than we did before. It's like, oh boy, not good. Um, so, you know, understanding the numbers, um, you know, reviewing the profit and loss statements every month, um, doing, a, you know, a quarterly expense overview of like, who are we paying, why, um, what software are we paying for? You know, what outside vendors are we paying for? How much are we paying? And so just really getting a handle on the numbers that helped shift whatever, what it was. And then the biggest thing was just pricing because at the time, you know, uh, like we were talking a little bit beforehand, you know, when you have a bunch of line items and then a number, um, it's very easy for people to ask for, oh, well, can you just make the number a little bit lower or whatever? I did. I used to concede on price all the time, not factoring in the cost of doing business in the right, you know, in the right way. And so uh, when I got a handle of the numbers, that helped me shift into, okay, well, what does my price need to be for this to actually make sense? Um, and then once you clean that up, it was kind of just full steam ahead from there. 
So it, it's funny, we, we talked about, um, you know, your kind of model for how to think through taking somebody that's in that early stage, let's call it 10 to 30 K a month. They've probably been doing a lot of the work themselves, um, or, you know, had a couple of freelancers they pull in here and there to help out and then making the jump to, okay, now I am no longer going to be the main person wearing all the hats on the production. There can be the set of golden handcuffs that you find yourself in at that juncture where you're like, oh, you come to this realization all of a sudden that like the way I've been pricing this, I'm trapped here unless something dramatic happens. And I, and often, especially if you're doing longer term engagements or you have clients on retainer, you have all of this baggage now, this drag that you've created on the business and it makes it even harder to make that transition out. Um, what were some of the keys for you in working through that exercise of figuring out, okay, what does the pricing now need to look like? And then actually transitioning the business in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So. There's, there's two big pieces that help make that shift. Um, the first one being you need to price as if you were a business and not creating just a job for yourself. I think most people go into it saying, oh, well, if I get $1,000 a month for this and I get 10 of them, I'll be super happy. $10,000 a month is happy for me or whatever that metric play, you know, however that metric plays out. But you're not factoring in, mm -hmm. well, what if you don't have time to do the work? What if you want to get more customers? You need to bring on skilled labor then you need to pay for that. And so I think where a lot of people get stuck is they price it as if I would be happy with this amount of money, but that doesn't account for it being a business with expenses and costs. So the, the first kind of structure that I look at for that is how much would it cost you? You're pricing a project. How much, it would, how much would it cost you if you had to outsource? So for me as a marketing agency, what if the media buying, it wasn't going to be done by me? What if I had to pay someone to do that? How much would it cost? Okay, they're going to need you know, $750 a month. And then what if I don't want to manage the customer's inbound inquiries and the project management, making sure the new campaigns are getting up and running? Okay, so I need a project manager now. So how much would that cost? Well, maybe 500. So now we're 1250 in, in just expense out, right? Then you need to be making, you know, at least 50%, 40%, 50% at the minimum from a margin standpoint. So now all of a sudden this thing has to be 2000, 2100 a month. And then you can make money having the labor be outsourced. But you know, if you don't take those things into consideration and you're charging that thousand, if you want to hand off any of that work, you're already broke. It doesn't work. Um, so that's the number one kind of structure is price it as if you're going to hand off each piece and you're going to run the business. Um, and even if you end up doing yeah. the work and keep that money, then great. Then you have even more margin. That's fine. You can still do all those roles, but charge as if you are going to be doing that. That's the first thing. Um, do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I wanna encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I wanna encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I wanna thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Hmm. Yeah, I wanna double click on that. It's funny, I had lunch with two good friends of mine that I've known for a while that have been freelancing and they came to me and they said, Marcel, 
we want to build a, a real agency here. And so we went, we had some breakfast and I pulled out my iPad and this is literally the same advice that I gave to them. I was like, however you're pricing right now, do the same thing, figure out how many hours it's going to take, then go look at what it would cost you to hire a freelancer to do it. And then multiply whatever it would cost you to hire that person by at least 2.5 X, right? That gives you a 60% margin on the service. That's the minimum. Don't ever sell the project for less than that. If you can get more great. And that what that means is to your point, you get to choose how many hats you want to wear. But if you wanted to, you could wear zero hats on that project, not touch it. And you would still have 60% of the money left over as long as you scoped it reasonably well, um, to run the business, you can assume you're going to spend another 25 or 30% of your gross margin in a given time period on overhead to your point. So, you know, you're going to need some rent, you're going to need a salary for yourself, an accountant, a lawyer, or some software, whatever. Um, and then you should still have some profit left over and you, boom, you've got a business and you can make the choice to your point to still take on a lot of that work because the volume isn't there. But as soon as the volume is there, there's no there's no big jump to uh, go through in order to transition to having other people do the work. And then the other thing I love about this model and thinking about it with freelancers first is then when you do have enough work coming in to hire full time, you can just drop your cost per hour and increase your margin even more as opposed to making that a constraint at the beginning and then putting yourself in a position where you now have to deal with all of the overhead of utilization um, really early on before it's necessary to take on that, uh, that pain. So I like that model. So number one, start pricing under the assumption that other people will do the work so that that option is available to you. Step one, what did you do after that, Mike? So the second biggest thing was, I think every customer who you're going to work with probably has had a bad experience or some type of experience with someone who does what you do, right? So for mm -hmm. me, oh yeah, we tried running Google ads ourselves, or we've gone through three agencies in a row and no one's been able to produce the result. So they're coming in with a sour taste in their mouth and they're going to have opinions and they're going to have a history with the different line items that are encompassed in your service. So for us, it's, you know, you know, a, a biweekly video that shows the customer where they're at. And it includes, you know, us going in and managing Google ads, us going in and managing Facebook ads. But the problem is their negative experience with each, with whatever they've had the negative experience with is going to um, make them want to either take it out or pay less for it because they don't believe in it. And so the, the next big thing that I did is I started packaging everything that I did up in a way that said, you can't separate these things because this 360 degree coverage that's going to produce the result that I promised requires each of these pieces and they all play a role and they all have their own impact. But without them all together, I can't produce the result that I've promised you. So whether you call it creating an offer, or packaging the service, whatever you want to call it, um, I find that it's really important to do because any one individual thing that they disagree with, that's fine. But if you are giving them as a deliverable line item, it's very easy for the, well, take that one out. Or can you charge me less because I don't, I don't like this as much versus you giving them something that says you can't separate these things. Mm -hmm. If you want, you know, two, four return, whatever you're going to, you know, whatever promise you're going to make them, um, you need to let me do it because this is the way that the package works. This is the design of what I'm going right. to do for you. We've talked about pricing and baking in the cost of labor even before you have the labor um, creating costs. We've talked about 
um, shifting the conversation and shifting the way that we present our services to clients towards more alignment with a problem that they're looking to solve um, and creating, you know, maybe a more articulation of our process around how we solve that problem using the different services or deliverables that we have. Um, anything else that uh, you recommend people do at this juncture to make this transition? You have to, the bigger piece of all, you can have all the, the tactics you want. Uh, the bigger piece is working backwards from that outcome so that you can believe in the price. Because what I see a lot of people do is they say, oh, well, you know, I watched this YouTube video and they said triple my price and like start there. You know, and oh, if I'm getting, you know, if 80% of people are saying yes to me, that means my price is way too low. So great. I'm going to go from 2000 to 4000 now. And that's all fine and good. But if you don't believe in that 4000 you're never going to sell it. You're going to, it's going to come across. You're going to be, you're, it's going to feel like you're like either desperate or you're reaching for it like that. You have to be able to transfer the confidence of that price to the person you're selling to. So I always like to work backwards and you don't have to explicitly like map this out on a call with the person, but you should do this for yourself. And you say, okay, the problem that they face is X. If they get solution, what is the actual outcome of that? And so you know, for, for a silly example, if I'm a, you know, well, if I'm an audiology clinic, right? If I'm, if I'm getting, you know, 10 new patients a month and the average patient is, you know, $5,000. Um, so now we know, you know, we know it's 50,000, right? We know it's, they're, they're making 50,000 right now. Great. So if you can get them another 10 and that's another 50,000, what are they willing to pay? What makes sense there, right? So would they pay... Would they pay 25000 to get 50000 Maybe. Their margins might not be as high as they need to be, and there maybe the word of mouth isn't great in that industry, so maybe it doesn't work out. So maybe your, you know, the outcome relative to your cost, is, it doesn't quite work. But if you can find that sweet spot and understanding what your outcome will deliver, and it's not always financial, right? You know, in the case of an HR service, it could just be, you know, retention. Well, that's not direct revenue, but retention of employees, if you keep employees 25% longer, that has a huge mm -hmm. impact on what you need to spend in time and training and all of these things. So mm -hmm. really taking a deep dive into not only what the outcome is, but what does that outcome provide to that end user, to that customer? And when you understand that what you're doing could be, you know, some, in some cases it's 2X, in some cases it's 10X, mm -hmm. what you're gonna charge them, it becomes a very confident conversation for you to have because you can believe in your price. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a great insight. And it's funny. I think back to the sales call that I was on where this was done to me most effectively was with a company called self-publishing school, which if you don't know about them, they help people who want to write a book, write a book. It's a, you know, kind of a group service type of thing. And they take you through this process. And by the end of it, you've got everything you need to write and self-publish a book. And so the salesperson did such an amazing job of challenging me at the start of the sale and in doing so, collecting all of the fodder that they needed to then anchor price on the back end. So the, the start of the conversation was like, well, tell me about the book you want to write. And it was like, oh, well, I want to write this book about this thing. And, what, and at the time, it was a book on mentorship. And, and then she starts challenging me. Well, like, why does that matter? Like, and then uh, here I am passionately starting to talk about, well, I think I can help a lot of people and like they got lots of young people like me that didn't have a mentor, but if I can teach them how to get one, they could, you know, learn the things they need to learn and build businesses. Yeah. Well, why does that matter? Like, why, why do you want to do that? Why is that important to you? 
And here I am, I spend 20 minutes just getting emotionally wrapped up in this story of how this is like such an important thing for me to do. And of course, south of the price being revealed and then me starting to backpedal, she's like, well, wait a second. I thought you said that this was going to be your legacy and that, you know, you were going to want this on your gravestone when you, is that not worth $5,000 to you? And it was just like, while it was happening, I was like, holy shit, this is one of the best sales, like sales calls I've ever been on from that perspective. And so entrepreneurs are passionate, challenge them at the start of the sale about what is the problem? Why now, why solving it is important, why it matters. And they will give you a lot of the information that you need to, to do exactly what you just said, start anchoring that conversation more so to the outcome. Um, I think that's a huge thing. So we've talked about pricing. We've talked about laddering the conversation up to value. And we've talked about value anchoring in that sales process. Uh, anything else that you feel like is important for folks to know uh, that, that you were able to do in that transition that has had a good result for you? Yeah, I think, you know, the final point, the final thought that I have on it is two pieces, you know, humanizing the process is such a big thing. Um, a lot of people get tense in the shoulders. Oh, I'm going to talk about money. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. Right. And, and, and you have to get past it because when, when you're not confident and when you're not having a real person-to-person conversation, um, just imagine what, you, what, the, what the other person is feeling like on the other line. It's like, are they trying to trick me into this? Like, what, what is going on that this person doesn't feel strongly that I should participate in this? Um, so, so, you know, really humanize, humanize the conversation. But I think bigger than that is... There's this feeling when you're just the one pitching, you're saying, well, I think you should hire us because this, and I, I, we are really good at that, so believe me, so trust me. But I actually love to, to flip this on its head because ultimately your reputation is on the line, right? If this campaign doesn't go well and you have a bad whatever, they have a bad experience from it, like they're, gonna, they're not going to refer you. They might write you a crappy review. They might not like you anymore, but it's not always your fault. You know, sometimes their sales team is not good at closing deals. You know, sometimes their website is not good at getting people to inquire. I mean, there's so many variables when it comes to marketing. So for me, what I always say is, you know, I always ask, you know, what, what's the conversion, current conversion rate on your website? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Like to me, that's a bit of a red flag. Okay. If you get, you know, 10 new inquiries through the website, how many of them come, come make an appointment, number one, and then how many of those do you sell something to? Well, it's you know this number. And I would say, great, so what I'd wanna understand before I move forward is that you know, we, have a, you know, we have a website that can convert because if I'm sending good quality traffic and your website's failing, ultimately it's not my problem, but it's gonna become my problem when you are paying money and it's not working. Similarly, if I bring you leads and your sales team is not getting back to people really quickly and they're not closing deals. So tell me, tell me about this process. And I actually interview them about how good they are at running their own business because it is, you know, mm-hmm. it, is a tech, it is a bit of a tactic, but it's also important to know because if they are not running a good business, they're inevitably going to fire you after two or three months and they're going to have a bad feeling and yeah. it might not have been your fault. So I kind of make them feel a little bit partway through the conversation like, great, I've, t- I've validated myself. Now you need to validate you to me before I work with you. 
fascinating. I, I, I mean, I like the approach and it sounds like the, the challenge is going to be trying to balance making those investments, transitioning to that more niche offering and doing that while trying not to have yourself pulled all the way back into the business and maintaining some of those healthy and what sounds like really nice boundaries that you've been able to create uh, through this transition. So that's cool. Um, for those that want to learn more about you, Mike, and the work that you do helping agencies make a similar transition and work through some of these pricing challenges and operational challenges that we talked about earlier, where can they find you online and learn more about the content that you're creating? Sure. Yeah. So uh, best place is probably Instagram uh, at the Mike Mall, T-H-E-M-I-K-E-M-O-L-L, uh, or just on my website, MikeMall.co, C-O, not com. Cause there's another Mike mall who won't give me the com, and I'm not happy about it, but I'm stuck with the .co for now. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike mall.com. If you're listening to this, uh, start a negotiation with Mike mall.co. Let's get that to happen. For those of you listening, I uh, just scroll down in the show notes and we'll have links to Mike's social LinkedIn, his YouTube channel, his, uh, his website, all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Mike, any final words of advice for our listeners before we take off? Um, yeah, you know, I think the majority of the people that, um, I speak to, whether it's in a, whether it's in a paid capacity or not, just people that are trying to grow businesses of, of this kind is test the waters and just don't be afraid. Just, just even, even if it's just a 20% bump, raise your price by 20%. So many people say, well, I got to wait until I'm at this level because they compare themselves to other people and they say, well, he is more established. Well, I'm going to use air quotes again, but you know, he's more established than me. So I have to be lower than him. No, I mean, it's all, it's all BS. Price is based on the value that you can bring across to the person and the value that you can deliver to the person. So if you're afraid of it, just, just put it up 20%. You'd be amazed at how consistent your conversion rate goes and how much extra little, just that little bit of extra money kind of start the confidence boost to start bringing it to the next level because admittedly tripling your price is hard there's going to be a lot of barriers there's going to be a lot of things that go with it but just just do something and start the momentum and actually just take that action right away yeah i think that's good advice it's funny i have a, a thread right now on my linkedin profile where i've uh, fired some shots at the agency coaching community um and it's that uh that flex tape meme where there's water leaking out of the tube and then they slap flex tape on it and it's like every agency coach with razor prices and it's like raising your prices is not the solution to every problem in your business and if you have more systemic issues with how you scope and your process and over servicing and like lack of structure and all those things raising your prices is not going to get rid of those things however it can and often is the fastest lowest hanging fruit to creating the space to take on those bigger challenges because you're probably overworked, your team's overworked, and you're kind of always behind the eight ball because you're experiencing a lot of indigestion from not having a good enough price. So if you can create that 20% upside, that might be enough breathing room for you to start to actually pay attention to all the other little things that might've led you to that place in the first place. So I think that's good advice. Just step one, raise your price, and then use the additional headspace that that creates for you to take a look at the business and start to address some of these other things. Um, I like that. Mike, I want to thank you for making the time for us today. This was a really fun interview. Uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. 
Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast, I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this, and it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
All right.